When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Looking back at the first day of the final test here at the Oval, we're together, which doesn't often happen. This podcast, of course, is in association with IG Trading and Investments. And we'll be talking about their influence on today's play actually a little bit later. Behind us is the IG Net Gains Arena. We're sat up in the, the newsstand here at the opposite end to the, the pavilion near at the Oval. And uh, the IG Net Gains Arena, where you can face all the great Ashes deliveries, is, is just behind us. So we're going to talk about that in a bit. But first, we should have a look at the, the, the back of the day's play. For me, Simon, I describe this day's play as a curate's egg. Uh, and if anybody wonders what the hell that means, it means good and bad. Um, quite good in places and quite bad in other places. And the end product is that I think England could concede a, a decent lead unless they take early wickets in the morning. What's your view? Yeah, Australia's day. Yeah, they're happy enough to bowl England out. I mean, they could have bowled England out for many fewer than 283. They dropped five catches. There were a lot of mistakes made today. And I think that's what you mean, isn't it? That there were... There were some problems today for, for both sides, really. England frittered wickets away. Australia dropped catches. England could have scored more. They could have scored many fewer. I mean, it was, a, yeah, it was an odd, odd sort of day, really. In a way, the, the cricket today was probably a bit low-grade. It's been a high-class series, but today, lots of mistakes. Yeah, and I think that, that you know, the reason why there were so many mistakes was just the intensity of the, the matches so far. Four tests in a short space of time, fast bowling, very aggressive batting. Mentally, you know, a lot of the players looked a little bit spent to me, and physically as well. I mean, obviously, Moen Ali broke down halfway through the game. You've had other players carrying injuries through the series, and it just looked like a tired performance, almost as if 
we just want to sort of go with this and, and see what fate throws us. Almost it didn't have much to give. Uh, and and it, it was just like, let's see what the day brings for us. We'll play our way. We'll play with our spirit. And if it doesn't go right, sort of too bad, so be it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's funny, we, we haven't discussed this at all, have we? We've barely seen each other all day, but that was my impression about the day's play as well, that, yeah, we, we'll, we'll give it a go and, and see what happens. I mean, good toss for Australia to win. I mean, on another day, they really could have bowled England out for 200, couldn't they? I mean, there, was, there were so many mistakes, five, five drop catches. And yet, at one stage, England were 180 for three. And you think, well, actually, they could get 350, 400 with a fair win. But it, it, neither happened because of the, I don't know, the, the problems that both sides encountered. And it, it is tough. I mean, Australia, this is their sixth really intense test match in the space of, what, six, seven weeks. It only feels like five minutes yeah. since we were sitting on this balcony after the World Test Championship final. And that, that shows how concertina the, the test match, the international summer has been, this Ashes summer has been. I, I suppose another way of looking at it is that England, I mean, I, this is a facetious comment, but England are sort of now preparing for the Cricket World Cup because they're <laughs> sort of playing 50 over cricket. You know, the only t- the match really that they batted longer than 50 overs was Old Trafford, but they batted 100. But here, the innings lasted 54.4 overs. And actually, there was a period early in the innings, wasn't there, about the sixth or seventh over. So you're expecting traditionally teams to be a little bit sort of circumspect and cautious, the first 10 overs of a test match with Stark and Hazelwood bowling. Well, in one spell of 15 balls, it wasn't a single dot ball. There were lots of singles and a couple of twos and a four from Duckett and from Crawley. And it's the only the second time in the history of Test cricket that there's been no dot balls in an over in the first ten overs of a, of a match, in a, a first ten overs of a Test match. And you know the other time was, was in the Super Test in 2005, which England played, or sorry, the rest of the world side played in Australia after England won the Ashes here in 2005. There was a super test, which I've completely forgotten about. And in that test match, there was an over in the first 10 overs, which didn't have any dot balls in it. And that was we, Australia against the rest of the world. Australia. And Australia won it comfortably, didn't yes, they? Yes, that's right. Uh, so today we had a spell of 15 balls in the first 10 overs of the test match where there was no dot balls. There was ones, there was Duckett running up the wicket and drilling, slapping, uh, start through the covers, Crawley a couple of singles. The field was set back, yes. wasn't it? So, so actually it was quite intelligent batting by England in a way because they just knocked it around. And then there was the odd boundary as well. But I mean, the sight of someone like Duckett stepping up the wicket and outside leg stump to slap the bowling of whoever it was, Stark or Hazelwood, back through the extra cover region in the first 10 overs. It, it is, it's, it's one day tactics. Yeah, well, England was scoring at five and over, weren't they? 62 for no wicket, they, they were. And then they lost that first wicket in the 12th over. And, and that was on a day in which they were put into bat. And you, you think, hold on a second, something, <laughs> this isn't supposed to happen, is it? And Australia, they did feel as though they lost a bit of control, actually. They didn't bowl particularly well. The, the yeah. new ball partnership of, of, of Stark and Hazelwood, they looked pretty ordinary again. And it was the introduction of Pat Cummins that, that changed the game, I yeah. thought, yeah. in Australia's favour. I thought he bowled really well. Of course, Marsh took the first wicket with that snare down the leg side. It's always, yeah, it always feels a bit unfortunate, doesn't it, when you glove one down the leg side. The umpire didn't give it out initially. But Duckett had gloved it through to Carey. But Cummins, I thought, was the one who was right on it. I thought he was excellent. You think of how poorly he bowled at Old Trafford. And he, you know, this is his sixth test match as well. But he was, 
okay, he hadn't bowled for six days in the middle, so he's had a, a bit of a break, but I thought he was right on it today. Almost as if he say, right, if you can't make the most of this, I'm going to try to make the most of it. But his, his actual final figures, one for 66 and 13 yeah. overs, don't actually demonstrate how well he bowls in that first spell. I thought he was he was excellent. You felt he could almost get a wicket every ball. Totally agree. In fact, he should have had a wicket with his first ball mm. because Duckett had a big drive and was dropped mm. by David Warner at first slip. And he went past the edge. What he did, actually, interestingly, was that early on, the Australians especially started trying to find some swing, and there wasn't any, and the bowl, the batters were, were knocking it around. So Cummins dragged his length back a little bit and hit, there's a patch from the pavilion end where there's just a bit of extra bounce. And he got his speeds up to 90 as well, which just shows you can play six tests in a row as a fast bowler and still be able to, to find your top speed. And he was bowling those absolute rockets past the edge and really testing the, the, the opening batters, particularly the right-handers. Very impressive, very unlucky, but you know, eventually the wickets fell at the other end. I suppose really the turning point. Well, but before we get to the turning point, I mean, Joe Root, a, a, a lazy shot, I thought, poor shot. He seems to have just got caught up in the flow of this basball kind of uh, um, idiom uh, and, and he's not playing his natural game. And I, just explain, like, how, just explain how he got out then. Well, he, he dragged one on trying to run it to third man. And, it, you know, the, the, the quality of but the isn't bowling... But isn't that his strong scoring shot? Isn't that what he often I, does, I, tries to it, run it, it away? It is, but I thought in that particular period where the ball was just doing a little bit, it was a risky shot. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, he paid the penalty. He tried to play that shot two or three times and he was out to, to Josh Hazelwood, who was... You know, less effective than some of the other bowlers, but still, I thought he should have been a bit more cautious and and you know tried to shoulder arms a little bit more because he's the one guy in that side with, with you know with Stokes who can play a more conventional sort of innings, and I thought he should have just reined it back a bit and just sort of had a look because the ball was just doing a little just doing enough to make those kind of shots that are not necessarily that productive. A little bit risky. How good a toss was it for Australia to win? I mean, it was humid, it was overcast, it was a bit of a breeze. You always talk about still conditions, don't you, for swing. Yeah. Pitch was a touch green, it rained all night. Was it a really good toss to win? Was it the best toss to win of the series? I mean, England won four, Australia won one, they finally won one today. Was this the best toss of the series to not, win? Not necessarily. I mean, it didn't zip, zoom and zip all over the place. No. So not, I, I don't think it would have mattered that much if, if England had won the toss and decided to field. I don't think it would have changed the, the shape of the game particularly. Um, if Australia had batted first, they might have got 300. It's, it's a bit of a kind of... It's a, it's a pitch that you, bowlers have got a chance on it, I think. Uh, but what, but batters not, can not, play shots. What, not just on the first day, but you think yeah. throughout the game? Yeah, I reckon, yeah. Be- because so. it's got an extra bit of bounce. Yeah, it's got a bit of bounce, a little bit of sideways movement. There's some grass there. It's much greener pitches here you get at the Oval now than yeah. you used to get 10 years ago, where they were much whiter in colour. There's plenty of grass on them. So th- I think bowlers always got a chance. So I don't think it makes that much difference. Obviously, the overhead conditions were quite favourable for bowling today, but the ball didn't actually swing that much. And you know, it relates to a piece I did uh, earlier in the, in the week about the balls not swinging as much this year as they have in previous years. And so, yeah, I don't think it matters that much whether you bat or bowl first today. Um, so England have managed you know, to scrape through to 283. Let's look at the turning point in the innings for me, actually, was Moen's injury. Because yeah. 
at the time they'd gone three down and you know Root had gone so you know England were sort of down to the middle order Moen had survived and played reasonably well and then Harry Brook had come in and, and also played excellently. After being dropped, After mind you, a bad drop as well, wasn't it, by Alex Carey? I mean, people talk about Johnny Bairstow's wicketkeeper in this series, but that was as, as bad as it gets as a wicketkeeper. I mean, those people, you, you can go and see it for yourself. OK, he had to dive away to his right, but you'd expect your keeper to catch that, wouldn't you? 50 times out of 50, really, or 40, well, he went with 49, one 49 times for out of 50. For some reason, he went one. With, one, with one hand and he could have got two to it. Yeah. And uh, th- even with was, one hand, they'd expect to catch it, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, I suppose we would. Yeah, and, and Cummins, that was the second time a, a drop off Cummins as well. Four drops by Australia. Five. In, was it five? Five well, in I was all. Say yeah. Four in the kind of first two and a half hours yeah. of play. Uh, one by Smith, very difficult, and three that should have been taken. And well, yeah. I, uh, anyway, uh, so Moen and, and, and Harry Brook going well, and then Harry Brook before lunch. I mean, what was he doing? He he, he hit. Just when you thought, well, we're going to play for lunch here, he's drilled uh, a, four, a start through the covers of four, then backed away and slapped him past backward point for four, and then hooked him for six. Mm. And s- sort of incredible swivel hook off his nose, ten rows back, down behind us, just below us here. I mean, amazing batting, mm. really. And what a talent. But, anyway, they've got to 180-odd for three, so they're 100 partnership in 102 balls. Yeah. You know, really pretty impressive. But just before that, Moen got injured, taking a single. It was a strange one, that, wasn't it, as well? I mean, it wasn't a really quick single. It was a, well, it was a, you, you said it was a fairly regulation single, wasn't it? Brooke got an inside edge onto his back thigh, so he was, he was hurt by that one as well. And he thought, oh, yeah, OK, you'll, you recover from that, don't you? But I thought the initial focus was on him, because he got one on the back thigh and he was sort of hobbling to the non-striker. And suddenly you realised Moen was hobbling as well and he's, he's done a groin and that is well that's bad for England isn't it I, I mean I can't see how he's going to be able to bowl in the match really or, or bat properly or bat properly yeah well and as we saw as soon as he'd done the injury took some pills uh, a bit of a delay some physio attention and after that he reverted to what I call the Ch- his Chennai Super Kings mode <laughs> yeah. so n- batting number three for, for Chennai in the, in the IPL he just tees off and he just decided, I'm, I'm going to go for it and see how long I get away with it. And the answer was not long. Not long, no. Well, he hit one fantastic shot for six, didn't he, over deep mid-wicket. And I thought it was quite a good captaincy from uh, Pat Cummins. He brought Murphy on, didn't yes. he? And, and I think Murphy, actually, I spoke to him afterwards, and he said, yeah, I sort of sensed something might happen for me. And he, he bowled a pie first up, the long hop, which Moen slapped through mid-wicket. And then later in the over, huge hoik bowled. I, I, I didn't think he needed to do it, really. I completely agree. You know, he's got Brooke absolutely, you know, gunning at the other end, playing really well. And, I mean, OK, Moen was probably struggling to run between the wickets, but they didn't need to run between the wickets too much. I mean, he could have just paddled, he could have just played a second fiddle to Harry Brooke, really, and just they held an end up and perhaps played the odd drive for four and tried not to run too much. I don't think he, I don't see why he had to revert to slogging. No, I, I agree with that. I, well, the other option, of course, was that he could have retired hurt. I know, I know he would have been incapacitated coming back later, but he could have batted, you know, with, with someone lower down and just sort of worked it around a bit and hit the old boundary and you know kept things going. But it, you're right, I agree with you. It just it just seemed to sort of halt the momentum of of England's innings, and suddenly they lost four for well four for nothing basically yeah, well, four yes. for twenty eight in nine overs. Yes, that was yes. the, that, and, and that, that was, was the, the engine room. You know, Bearstow, Stokes, Moen, you know, they're all out. I, I, I thought it was it was a disappointing response to being injured. 
that I know he was obviously in pain and so on, but I thought he could have a bit on the bullet a bit longer just to see if he could get over it yeah. rather than just yeah. revert to, to slogging. And you're probably not going to get over that though, are you? Probably, if, no. you pulled a, if you pulled a groin muscle, it's, you know, it's unpleasant, isn't it? And you, you probably make it worse by being out there so that you have the option of retiring her. So I don't understand why you can't have a runner. I, well, I know that the, the laws have been changed, so those who haven't, aren't aware of this, and by the way, a few people in the press box today didn't realise you could never run her. So they're about really? five years they're five years out of date, some of those Well, longer than that. <laughs> it, it, it started when Graham Smith was playing in a one-day international in South Africa, yeah. and I think he, I'm just trying to remember the exact details of it, but he wanted a runner, but I think England said hold on a second, this is just you know, lack of fitness because he was, he was struggling with cramp. And I think it sort of came, it started, the, the discussion started after that. And they said, no, you, you can't have a runner anymore. Uh, but you're right, on a day like today, well, on lots of occasions really, oh, Nathan Lyon really, at Lords, really, he deserved to have a runner, didn't he? I mean, he came out and played, he batted on one leg, he actually hit the ball really well. But it's so obvious they're injured in that situation. So what you don't want is a player sort of taking advantage of having a, a runner. Like, you know, like if, if you ha are suffering with cramp in a, in a one-day international, you don't want a runner coming out, do you? But in a situation like this where someone's clearly injured, yeah, I wonder whether it is time to go back to having uh, runners. Well, and they're very amusing. I, I, <laughs> love, I love watching runners because I played in one game where uh, Paul Downton, this former Middlesex and England wicketkeeper, he got injured. And uh, we, we got a runner out to run for him. And he totally forgot that he had a runner and hit the ball through the offside and set off for a run himself. And in the end, got run out, you know, because he'd forgotten that actually you, you, you don't need to run if you've got a runner. You can just stay in your crease and your runner does all your running for you. But he forgot, stumbled out of his crease and got run out. And so that was the end of that. I, I mean, there's always entertaining. I've seen even instances where there's two runners out there and have it's you? just it's chaos. two runners I've actually seen two runners in, I've never, in, in I don't a think game. I've ever seen that oh, it's just chaos it's game, total right? chaos but hilarious in a way it adds a little new, but what extra it, nuance to the game but what it does do is it stops a player who's clearly injured getting more injured and that, that yeah. was the problem for Moen wasn't it the, I mean it's a difficult one the longer he batted the more damage you're going to do to that injury and surely so, you know cricket is a long game I mean alright so in football if someone gets injured they just take them off mm. that's fine and you can replace them but in cricket you can't and it's a long game so as you've often made the point when Jimmy Anderson broke down in the first test of the Ashes in 2019 after four overs and England couldn't replace him it's absurd really mm. so you need to have some way of covering the unluckiness of losing a player through to, to injury so that does need looking at but anyway it was the turning point in the innings because after that Moen got out and then Stokes and Bairstow followed soon after Stokes, I thought, played a iffy-ish shot to a good ball from start, which swung away a bit. He does tend to like to try and work the ball off the stumps, square of the wicket on the leg side, early on especially. Stark has got him out a couple of times like that. Bairstow loves, does like to have a slap at the ball wide outside off and drags it on and has also done that a couple of times. So, I mean, these things can happen. But anyway, England lost three quick wickets there which was a shame well then Harry Brook got out soon afterwards as well big big drive outside the off stump you know big nick and yeah. he was on his way as well four for 28 in in nine overs and suddenly the good work that, that Brook and Moen had done seemed to be undone yeah and England on the back foot then so let's just pause uh, to in reviewing our, uh, the, te the test match day just to have a think about the net gains arena 
and as I mentioned at the start, the IG's investment into the building of nets around the country uh, now raised, raised over 120,000 in the fund, which is achieved by people going into the Net Gains Arena and having a shot at some of the great Ashes deliveries of the past. And uh, by the way, talking about net and gains, I was here yesterday actually watching the net uh, practices and I saw Stokes, now this is quite interesting, I saw Stokes bowling a lot of off-spin in the nets. We might have to bowl a lot of off-spin in this game with Mo and Ali off well, the field. Well, that's, that's true. <laughs> and I think I can see a future for Stokes as an off-spinner. And I know that sounds a bit far-fetched at the moment because he's such a good fast bowler, but I can see if he does have knee surgery, if he does have any kind of... Well, it sounds like he's going to, doesn't it? It sounds like he's going to have some kind of surgery and there's no knowing whether that surgery will enable him to be able to bowl pace anymore. Now, what the interesting part about him bowling spin in the nets yesterday, you could say, well, it was just practice, relaxed net practice, which, yes, it was, but he was talking a lot to Jeet Patel, the uh, England spin bowling coach and expert off-spinner. And he was talking a lot about his bowling action and his follow-through and grips and trajectories and so on. And I thought there was quite a lot of investment in Stokes as a potential off-spinner just in that sort of 25-minute session. I did ask Stokes afterwards about it, actually. I said, well, you know, what about your future as a, an all-rounder? And he said, well, are you asking me that just because I was bowling off-spin in the nets? And I said, well, yes, actually. And he went, well, yeah, OK. But he then said to me privately afterwards, you know, I bowled for 20 minutes off-spin in the nets and my finger's really hurting. <laughs> my finger's really sore. So I sort of understood what Moen has gone through. So, you know, I, the, the, we don't know, of course, what will happen. But actually, I think he could be quite a good off-spinner because... He's got a good act. He's got a good basic bowling action. He's probably quite strong with his hands. His fingers will be able to spin the ball. He just needs to learn the technique. And it, of course, the main thing is it will take a huge amount of pressure off his knee, mm. uh, so that he would he would be able to have a future as an off spinner. And with Moen retiring and not likely to continue his his Test match return, who's going to bowl off spin for England apart from Joe Root? Mm. Well. I remember a player in the past who, who was a, an excellent fast bowler, top-class fast bowler, one of the best, actually, Mike Proctor, and he turned to spin. He used to have knee problems as well, didn't he? And I, a little dicky bird has told me, i.e. you, that he got you out yeah, bowling off spin. He did, which isn't a great, no. the greatest difficulty, no. but the, he did. And he was actually, he was a good off spinner mm. because he had a good body action, a good follow-through, and he really spun it mm. as well. And he was aggressive because he was a fast bowler before. He had that sort of aggressive mentality as a bowler so he was like spiky at the batsman and you know beseeching the umpire to give him lbws and things so stokes has the same how did he get you out can you remember stumped <laughs> what having a massive going down here? the wicket trying to drive him through the offside spun through the gate yeah, stumped right, right. but i was the last man out so you know but he got five wickets that day proctor in a this was in a, a curry cup match in south africa so first class cricket and he was, a, as you rightly say, you know, as a Gloucestershire fan, a former Gloucestershire player, fantastic fast bowler who converted to Austin very successfully. I could see Stokes doing the same. I mean, it might be a bit far-fetched, but let's see what happens in a year's time. And England, to go, of course, their next test tour is to India. Well, they need it, they need it a bit quicker than, than a year's they time. Well, they, they, need, they need it in about three yeah. or four months' time, really. I mean, it's unrealistic to expect him to go to India and bowl Austin, isn't it? It probably is. Yeah. It probably is. But anyway, stranger things have happened. So just 
in relation to the net gains arena, great bowling spells, great bowling deliveries, which, as I say, you can face if you're here at the Oval over the next couple of days. You can go into the IG net gains arena and face these great deliveries. Great spells from the past we've been recapping on this podcast series during the Ashes. And I'm going to just talk about one today, which was here at the Oval in 2005. It was Australia's first innings, and they were in danger, if you're an England fan, of getting pulling level and even overtaking England for the first time in the series. Langer and Hayden had put on a 100 partnership. I think they'd actually put on 200, and they were playing superbly. But on the Sunday of the Test match, who should stand up against them? Andrew Freddie Flintoff, who bowled this most incredibly unstinting spell. And he said to Michael Vaughan at the time, don't take me off until we've bowled them out. And he was true to his word. He took five wickets. He bowled about 12 overs off the reel on a damp Sunday here at the Oval. It was the most fantastic spell. And it then set up for the, the climax of that test series with Kevin Peterson's incredible innings, which we'll recap on another day of this podcast series. But we're just going to recap... Freddie's brilliant spell today with the man who faced it and who witnessed it, Justin Langer. My favourite story about Freddie on that last test match, you know, that the Ashes is up for grabs and we're at the Oval and we'd come off the night before because of the um, because of bad light and it was literally so dark and we come off for light and the next morning we rock up and there's Freddie, you know, you walk through the dining area at the Oval there we walk through and there's Freddie. He's sitting in a pair of boxer shorts, a singlet on with all his tats. He's got a pint of Coke and a Red Bull sitting next to him. And we're walking through like this is the ashes and, you know, this is we're all up and we're all serious and listening to it. All right, lads, good to see you, boys. And he's sort of joking and laughing, drinking his Coke. And he's there, oh, how are you going? Like we're having a party with him. Oh, how are you going, boys? And we're all going, oh, worries. yeah, okay. And then he came out that next morning and bowled us out. He got five for 78 and no time. He got us by and he took the game back and then till Peterson, that innings of Peterson, right, um, which was an amazing innings. But it was Freddie. Like, Freddie was the one who kept changing it all the time. I remember there was criticism because Haydos and I came off that night because it was really dark and we were in a really strong position. And then the next day it was still dark. It was the morning, so we, were on, we, we played the game and it was like Freddie – Took the game away, mate. He took the game. That's what great players do, don't they? They change the game. The Gilchrists of the world, the Pontings, the Haydens, uh, the, the Petersons, the great players, they change the game. And that's what Freddie did. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So England eventually bowled out for 283 in this match. They only got there because of a, a spirited partnership between uh, Chris Wokes and Mark Wood. And I thought actually just watching that partnership, the, the relative ease with which they played just hinted that England might struggle when it was their turn to bowl. I, I thought they actually played very sensibly for the, for the most part. Mark Wood's eventual dismissal was quite disappointing, but he is a, you know, he's a lower order player who likes to hit the ball. He's bowled by t- Todd Murphy. But I woke a, a magnificent six down the ground, didn't he, off Mitchell Stark, and then another four, and eventually hold out. I just thought, mm, hold on a second, England are going to find it tough when it's their turn to bowl. But I thought they play, play, played well and got England up to 283, just sort of kept them in the game because they're in danger of being bowled out for 220, which would have been you know, re- a really poor score. I do think they could have got a few more, really. I mean, Wood, he's a good striker of the ball. He sometimes gets a bit carried away. And I thought that was a fairly sort of obvious dismissal against Todd Murphy. He hit him for 1-4 through the offside, and then he just tried to do the same again. He sort of telegraphed his intentions a bit, I thought. It It was a bit sort of too just give your wicket away and I don't want to be critical of Mark Wood because he's such an energising entertaining character but I just thought that was a bit too a bit tame really just to have a big wipe and get bowled by Todd Murphy who'd just been bought on and he'd been playing you know the seam was pretty well actually so yeah I thought England could have got a few, and especially as Wokes he's a proper player yeah. and in the end he was resorting to sort of pretty much slogging as well I mean he hit a couple of absolutely fantastic shots he hit Mitchell start back into the pavilion, back over his head, amazing shot. But he doesn't need to resort to playing big shots all the time, but he did because he only had Anderson for company. Well, because Stuart Broad hit one up in the air as well. Because Stuart Broad hit one up in the air as well, correct. So I thought it was a bit poor by England. It was a bit like sort of end of term sort of shots. Yeah, I think that's that's quite a good observation whether it, just because it is the end of term you can put two and two together and it's quite a simple equation I don't know but it, it, yeah it did feel a bit like that and if you put all England's wickets together on the highlights reel there's some there's some quite ordinary dismissals there aren't there and it was it was that sort of day really but then if you put Australia's five drop catches together on the highlights reel it was pretty ordinary from them as well so it was that, was, it was that sort of day at the Oval yeah end of term when you, when you what happens at the end of term at school you used to sort of bring in your own games didn't you and you were allowed to sort of, it was like free play and all that sort of stuff it was, yeah, no teachers of, were taking much notice exactly. in fact they were often joining in as yeah, well yeah it, it was that sort of day so England bowled out for 283 and you thought hold on there's a, there's a spell here for England about 25 overs whatever still overcast the lights were on okay there was a bit of brightness around at times pitch still quite green can England make some progress actually they couldn't they couldn't really get much going could they it, they lost the one wicket Australia Warner poking uh, Wokes to Crawley at second slip took an excellent catch another start from Warner he'd done some of the hard work again as he's often done in this series but he's not really been able to go on but apart from that they couldn't really get going there was one bizarre incident where Mark Wood who was steaming in found the outside edge of Warner's Bat. And he thought, oh, that's going to be a regulation catch to Johnny Bairstow. And it dropped short. Can you be- I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? At the over, we talked about the pace and bounce. And, or, you know, there is some bounce in this pitch. And Wood's bowling 90 miles an hour. And it wasn't like a soft-handed defensive shot from Warner. It was a genuine outside edge. And, and lo and behold, it dropped short. You thought, well, that, that's, that sort of sums up England's 
bowling really, bowling frustration, but they were able to get Warner out not long afterwards. Yeah, I, I think to, to sum up uh, England's bowling, I thought Anderson was tidy but not threatening, and he just he can't get that swing at the moment. He beat the bat a couple of times, but you know just didn't look that dangerous. Would you have picked him for this? Test I wouldn't. Match? Have, I wouldn't have picked him for this Test match. But uh, when I was here watching the practice, there's no sign of Josh Tongue or much sign of Ollie Robinson yesterday. So clearly Anderson was was always going to play. Look, from a sentimental point of view, this could be his last home test match. Could be. Uh, he's still bowling well, but he just doesn't look threatening. Broad at the other end was pretty good. He was a bit unlucky. He gloved Warner, or at least he, he brushed Warner, uh, got caught behind, but then it was given not out correctly uh, because it actually flicked his, uh, his arm rather than his glove. So good ball from Broad, which didn't get the reward. And I thought Wood was on at the wrong end because Cummins was getting all the bounce from the pavilion end and Wood came from the Vauxhall end, where I didn't think there was as much bounce. Uh, and I thought Wood should have run down from that pavilion end and he might have hit that spot that Cummins found and got that bit of extra bounce. So although Wokes got the wicket from that end, I thought Wood was at the wrong end. And Chris Wokes? Yeah, decent. You know, bowled well. But bowled well, but used the conditions pretty well. Got the one wicket. I don't think England deserved more than that, though. And, uh, you know, Kawaja played played well. Yeah, he looks like the... I mean, the move of logic. He does. You know, Rocket Gibraltar, the Berlin Wall, all, all mixed in together. I mean, he just looks so solid, doesn't he? He had one waft outside the off stump and he was nearly uh, caught behind. He, he's, the, he's the antithesis of England, isn't he? He's just that sort of calm presence, reassuring. Un, he, he just strolls, glides around the crease unhurried, unflustered. England are a bit manic as a, as a, as a contrast. And then Labuschagne came in as well and he didn't really look like getting out either. He just blocked, basically blocked until the close. He, he, he was two not out. I didn't think England really looked like getting him out. So Australia 61 for one at the close after 25 overs. So England scored, well, points today they were scoring at five and over. In fact, they did score at five and over, over, didn't they? 283 yeah. and 54.4 overs. Australia, well, had, typifying the series come out and scored under well under three runs and over but they in that slowly slowly catchy monkey way of theirs you feel at the moment they are in the better position in this game yeah and I thought Cummins had a good day as captain after his horrors at, at Old Trafford I thought he changed the bowling intelligently a couple of times or more than a couple of times as soon as he changed the bowling they took a wicket uh, for instance, when he brought himself on, he immediately posed problems. When he brought Murphy on, he immediately got a wicket. When he brought Hazelwood back, he got a wicket. When he brought Marsh on, he got a wicket. So his bowling changes were, were pretty good. That first 10 overs, he wasn't quite sure whether to go with defensive or attacking. But that's what happens when Crawley and, and Duckett go out to bat. You don't quite know uh, where to put the fielders, really. But I thought, in the end, Australia kind of got to grips with it. And although... Harry Brook played a brilliant innings. Is 283 enough on that pitch? No, I don't think it is. No. So, realistically, what would England? I mean, they they would say, oh yeah, but we, we, you know, Harry Brook said afterwards, yeah, I think we're right in this game. You know, we, there's, there's enough wickets in this surface. We can bowl them out for whatever uh, tomorrow. If if I offered you Australia 330 all out, would you take that? Yes, I would actually. I think England would do well to keep them to that, but I think it's possible, and a 50-run lead makes it a one-innings game, doesn't it? But I sense that Australia might get closer to 400. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, that's my feeling watching the, the, the play tonight. Not much happened, did it? Not, there wasn't that much beating of the bat. You've got four bowlers there who have now, you know, they've they put a lot of work in this summer and they're going to have to dig deep again. The Ashes have already gone. So, you know, there's that sort of psychological sort of issue as well uh, for them. Of course, they want to win the match. We'll just challenge at points, level the series, prevent Australia uh, winning the series the first time here for... 22 years but you feel that there's a op real opportunity for Australia on the second day and you know it could be a decisive second day a chance for them to you know, not bat England out of the match but they I mean they could go a long way tomorrow to making it difficult for England they could yeah well we'll see what happens anyway we're looking forward to the second day I'm not sure what the weather forecast is well I think it's for overcast conditions again and, and, and quite warm and the pitch might just I don't know, quicken up a little bit. I mean, yeah, it, it might be that, that works in England's favour tomorrow. They, you feel they need something. They need the, the crowd was quite quiet today as well. We, mm. I think we've been used to. I mean, heading the noise at Headingley was just like intense. You know, right behind England, it didn't sort of feel that today. Uh, you know, it was a, it was some entertainment on offer, but you really feel as if they, I mean, they, they need. They need to get some energy going out there. Yeah, well, no shortage of noise in the ground now, though, as the big clear-up <laughs> carries on. So we'll say goodnight and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>